0: Is digital marketer. This week, it's Amit Nagarajan. Hello, and welcome to the Digital Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Snavely, and today I've got a good one for you. I sit down with Amit Nagarajan, the founder and CEO of Rasa.io. They're an email newsletter creation platform that can curate a personalized weekly newsletter in under 10 minutes. We talked today about why email newsletters are so effective in the first place, how to be an active and empathetic ear towards your customers, and we dug deep into how to personalize your newsletter for each and every reader. And no, I'm not talking about using their first name in the subject line. Now, you've heard us talk a lot in the last year about newsletters, and I'm sure you've seen their comeback for yourself firsthand. It's still not too late. So whether you've had a newsletter for years or it's still a twinkle of an idea in your head, you'll definitely want to listen to this one from start to finish. Here it is. Well, let's start this off with just a little background. I'd love to know just where you got started, what made you interested in email newsletters, um, and kind of what led to you founding
1: Well, my background has been in technology companies for a long time. I I grew up in Silicon Valley. And in the early 90s, I started my first technology company. And since then, I've been starting and scaling software businesses of various types, uh, ranging from enterprise CRM companies to uh, companies in various vertical uh, markets, uh, industry-specific software markets, things like that. And about five years ago, one of my other companies had the idea of essentially connecting people with content that would be helpful, more helpful in their journey, essentially, uh, and using AI to really personalize that content in a different way. And so Rasa.io came out of that. The idea, the idea of AI-produced newsletters came out of that experiment in the other company. We spun it out. And uh, really, the interest isn't really so much about newsletters as it is about the idea of connecting brands with their customers in a more meaningful way, in a more authentic way, in a way that's more helpful in that individual's journey over time. Uh, So rather than the brand having Mm -hmm. to, you know, continuously essentially just pitch, pitch and pitch again, the brand is, is doing some of that, but is also saying, hey, Jenna, here's some content that's really helpful for you. And that's where the that's where the interest came from. Is is how do we help people navigate this complex and information filled world to get access to the best content for them? And how do we have brands engage in that process?
0: Yeah, and imagine you know it's so much more effective than kind of SEO content, which is all about just getting attention and and kind of using keywords to attract people to the content. And this is so much more focused on really engaging the customer in the content? Do you, What do you feel makes a newsletter so effective in general as an entity?
1: I think that what makes the newsletter effective is the idea of focusing on the relationship. So Email is very personal. It's interesting. Even though it's it's at mass scale, if I send you an email, I have the ability to connect with you as an individual. And so the philosophy is really important because if we're saying, how can I help you? I'm thinking about what type of content might be useful to you, might be interesting to you, and perhaps what might be entertaining for you in some respects. And so the idea of focusing on the individual who's receiving the email And maximizing the value that you're giving them, right? Giving more than you're trying to take. That's the concept that works really, really well. And so it actually is interesting that uh, a lot of times what we see in newsletters is if you curate content from another site, right? So you're sending your newsletter traffic, some of it, you're sending it to another site where you have no incentive financially or really otherwise short term to send people away, which is completely counterintuitive and goes against everything most email marketers (laughs) do driving top of funnel, right? What we find in the data, though, that's super interesting, is that when people include third-party content as well as their own content, they get more total traffic to their own site than in a newsletter where it's just their own content. So put another way, if I have 10 links in my email, and if five of them go outside and five of them come back to me, I'll actually get a total number of visitors to my own site that's higher if I also include content to external sites. So the way to think about it is it's not a zero-sum game. If I send people away, actually what ends up happening over time is the people who are reading my stuff – believe in me more. They trust me more because I'm clearly acting in their interest by sending them to other sites that aren't my own. Uh, and so my role shifts from being that of a seller to being more of a trusted advisor type of role. And that's really where the power comes. But you have to first shift your mindset of saying, hey, everything in my email is about driving people back to top of funnel.
0: Yeah. So after after you've kind of decided like, okay, you know what, just gonna going to do it going to be driving and curating different pieces of art, like pieces of content from other sources. Once you've decided that, how do you make sure it's the right curation of content? It has the right, like, can you, you know, do too many? Like, what if I want to have 25 pieces? (laughs) Is that too much?
1: I think the the idea of quality over quantity is is usually where people want to focus. So a newsletter that has more than about 10 items, we find tends to overwhelm most readers. If you have that much content that's relevant to your brand, you're probably actually better off sending a higher frequency newsletter that has a little bit less content in it. A lot of people are afraid to send newsletters frequently. They say, oh, well, monthly would be about as often as people would want to hear, And that's actually a true statement if the newsletter is only about you. However, if your newsletter is a mixture about your stuff and also these external content assets, people are very open to hearing from you on a much more frequent basis. For example, at Rasa.io, we have a weekly newsletter and we have a blog a day type of frequency of our own content. So we always have a lot of our own content. We only feature one or two pieces of our own content in each of our week's newsletters. And the other six or seven pieces are always external sources, external content that we just think is super interesting for people who are in marketing, small business owners, our audience, essentially. So those, those people who receive our newsletters on a frequent basis tend to engage with it because it's quick. It's, it's a five-minute read. It's, it's six to 10 pieces of content. So we find that formula tends to be good, is that six to 10. And really focusing on quality is, is critical because if you let content in, that's kind of questionable just to fill the space. Over time, that's what erodes the, the perception from your readers of the quality you're sending them.
0: So I, I was reading some of the content that you guys have, and I really liked one of the statements that you had made about showing your readers that you're being an active listener and that you're being empathetic almost. How, how can you make sure that your curation is doing that?
1: I think you have to be very thoughtful about the sources of content. First of all, the listening part, the the sources of content should tie back to what your readers are finding enjoyable. And Mm -hmm. so the data will help inform that. The data won't tell you what to do, but if you look at the data and say, okay, what types of content are people reading the most and, and where is that heading? That's part of our particular platform helps with that. But you can do this with any email tool. Uh, you can look at the sources of content, the authors. Um, you can also look at things like topics of interest. You know, What we do is we look across all content sources and say, hey, you know, there's a particular topic trending. Let's say something like SEO or SCM is a trending topic. We might then write some original content that aggregates some of the ideas from the most popular articles. We'll say, hey, these are the five most popular articles in last week's newsletter. How can we tie those ideas better together and then help our readers better understand those concepts in unison? So that's one idea is to kind of mix a little bit of original content with curated pieces. So it's a little bit of a trailing lens based on the data. The other part of it is just to try to engage people in conversation. So embed a survey, a simple yes or no type of poll in in the newsletter, just by simply clicking a button saying, I liked it, I didn't like it. Or, you know, we've been doing some fun stuff like uh, in our recent newsletters with what's going on in the world right now, we'd say, hey, if if you could travel, would you rather go to the mountains or the beach? You know, and it's got nothing to do with email marketing or newsletters. (laughs) But it's just kind of a little bit fun. So what that does is it, it it kind of, you know, really lubricates the relationship in a way, if you will. It's It, it makes it so that there's more flow mentally and, and there's more emotional interaction between the readers and your brand. So I think there's a lot of things you can do with that. But the, the key to it is not making it a one-way street because email is a two-way medium.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I imagine putting in those little polls kind of gives your audience a way to kind of talk back at you, but not so much like, here's here's what I think of you. It's just here's a little bit about me. People really do love to to tell people about themselves. I mean, I know I personally love to talk about myself.
1: <laughs> sure. Well, we all do. And in fact, that's that's precisely why content personalization is indeed so important. And, and part of the idea behind what we do, and, and there's a lot of other platforms that do this now with, with content personalization, is to say, hey, Jenna is more interested in topics A, B, and C. Let's share more of that with her. Whereas this other guy, Amith, is interested in topics, you know, D, E, and F, and let's give him more of those topics. And so our personalization engine does that automatically for you. We just look at what the reader is looking at. And on the the whole, we do, you know, the curation process. But on the individual level, we personalize every single reader's newsletter so that the specific articles shared with them are, in fact, personalized for that one reader. And so that's like the, from our point of view, that that was really the reason behind what we did with our product is we wanted to create this one-to-one communication medium and that, and that performs extremely well. You can imagine if I talk about the topics that we know you're interested in, you're much more likely to engage and click. And and you can do that through other mediums beyond email. You can use personalization on your website and in other places too. Email just happens to be one of the best places to do it because it's truly that one-to-one connection.
0: Yeah. How, how deep do you recommend people go with personalization? Like how many different formats actually I'd love to just know how it works in Rosadio.
1: Sure. Well, in our platform, so the biggest challenge with personalization is having the data. So, you know, if, if you and I know each other, well, I have a pretty good idea of some of the things you might be interested from a professional viewpoint, things that you like to do personally, that's great, but we don't have that type of insight on the vast majority of our customer relationships or our prospect relationships. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's been kind of the, the ultimate thing to have, right? So people, there have been entire multi-billion dollar industries formed in the CRM world and marketing automation world to try to capture that type of data and then to do things with that data. The problem is, is that data gets stale really, really fast. So even if I have a state-of-the-art CRM system and marketing automation technology, which most people don't have, but even if I had that, I've got this super fancy system but the data in it is, first of all, non-existent for the most part. Most You don't have data in most people. And to the extent you've captured data through whatever means, surveys, whatever, it's usually... Uh, what's called a trailing indicator. So it's like what you used to do. The most common example of personalization that we have is is e-commerce. So if you look at what Amazon does, uh, it's based upon your purchase patterns. They have such scale of data that they can then also predict forward what you might want to buy. Most people don't have the kind of data that Amazon has or what Google has or what Facebook has. So your average brand essentially is operating in a vacuum when it comes to the data that's necessary to solve this personalization problem. So we asked ourselves this question, well, how are we going to do this? We've got this really cool artificial intelligence algorithm that can personalize content, but we need to feed it data. Well, what we decided to do was actually start off with no data and then say what happens over time when we collect the data as the newsletter engages. So if you were to sign up at rasaio news, if you sign up for our weekly newsletter at that, at that webpage, the first few issues that you get every week are actually not really personalized to you because we know nothing about you. You're simply an email address to us. But here's Mm -hmm. what happens is over time, we slowly gain insight into the things that you open and the things that you click. From that, we're able to compare you to other people who may have similar behavioral profiles and feed you content that's performed well with them. And then over even more time, as we engage you further, we learn more and more about you as an individual. And through that process, since we're continually engaging with you, we don't have the problem of what's called data decay, which is when like I know 50 things about Jenna, but a year from now, maybe maybe 25 of those things are still true, but 25 mm-hmm. of them probably aren't or they're not as true. Whereas with a continuous loop, right, where we're with you all the time and you're engaging, you're opening, you're clicking, we keep learning and learning and learning. So the short answer to your question is, is only through first-party data. So we don't use third-party data. We monitor the behavior of the user. And then through that interaction, we learn a lot about the user and we can serve them better.
0: It's so interesting to me because I would not be surprised if you kind of saw the evolution of your newsletter begin to lead in a certain way over time based on like all the aggregation of what all your customers really want to hear about, really want to know about, really want to learn about. And ha- have you seen anything like that?
1: We have. In fact, a lot of people will look ahead and say, hey, first of all, what direction are people going in? What are the trending topics? or the topics that are lifting upwards and let's go and, first of all, build our own editorial calendar for our own blog, our own podcast, yeah. whatever our content strategy is, so that we're heading in the direction our audience is, is most interested in. Yeah. That's one fairly easy thing to do. That's kind of at the, the, the audience level, so to speak. But the other thing that's super powerful about this is... Let's say that you're in uh, let's say you're a realtor, for example, and so you you have a newsletter going out to a couple thousand people that you've met over time, their clients, past clients, people, prospective clients, whatever the case may be, and you're reading about what they're interested in or you know about what they're interested in because that's what they're reading through your newsletter. And so the next time you're engaged in a sales conversation and you say hey i'm I'm showing you houses." I know much more about you and I can do a much better job in helping you find the best house for you, which not only increases my quality of service to you as the buyer of a home or or the seller of a home, but I'm much more likely to actually get a sale because I can steer you in the right direction, right? I can be more consultative. That applies to bankers, law firms, really anybody who has kind of a a relationship-based sale. Uh, So it's a very powerful sales intelligence channel as well. So we see people use it in both ways, both at the individual reader level and also in the aggregate.
0: I mean, there, there's such a difference in people's actual behavior and what they say they want to know about or what they think they want to know about. So I'm sure there's like so much you can do with it.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And it's, there's, there's two fundamental problems at, at the brand level, you know, at the individual consumer level as a company, our core purpose is to better inform the world, which, which to us, what that means is we're trying to help an individual in their life. Over a period of time, get access to content that's, that's really helpful. And we have this thing called a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious goal, which is a Jim Collins-esque term. And our BHAG is to help a billion people on the planet by the end of this decade. So we think we can do that through our AI and by partnering with brands. On the, on the brand side, there's two problems we're trying to solve. Um, the first one is brands don't like being forgotten. You know, if, if, mm-hmm. if I'm your realtor and I sold you a home, but that was a year ago, I'm probably not top of mind, and there's not really a good reason for you to talk to me as your realtor because you just bought a house. You're not going to buy or sell again for a while. So how do I stay top of mind without being salesy? And how do I how do I can connect with you between transactions? So a great newsletter solves that problem, but it does it in a really cool way rather than than a way that feels salesy. The other part of the problem that brands have is they don't know enough about their customers, which is what we've been discussing. And so we solve that problem because you have this. It's it's almost as if you said, hey. Would you would you believe me if I told you that your customers are willing to tell you what they're interested in on a weekly basis? And everybody said, of course not. No one's gonna tell me that. But in effect, as a byproduct of interacting with your newsletter, that's exactly what they're doing. They're giving you that intelligence on a real-time basis. So that's super exciting.
0: Yeah, that's super exciting. And I mean, that kind of personalization is so much better than like, how are you today? Jenna. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that type of, you know, what we call kind of like just subject line or, or first line of the email personalization is as far as most people go. Most of the other personalization tech we see out there is, is around commerce. It's around, hey, which offer should I send to you? And it might be kind of like an advanced form of A B testing. It's, you mm-hmm. know, A B testing, you know, pumped up a little bit, but it's not really at this level of granularity where it's down to the individual piece of content, you know, uh, in, each, in each newsletter.
0: Yeah, I I don't know if this is going too deep, but I'd love to know like how many different uh, buckets a brand should have to be putting in front of their customer to see what they're interested in. Do you Do you have recommendations around that?
1: Sure, we do actually, and we've got some good resources on our website under content curation. Uh, we actually have this this particular resource called the content curation guide, and it's at rasta.io slash content curation Dash guy, thank you. Yeah, we've put a lot of work into that to try to help solve that that particular, or that particular question. And really what we tend to recommend is that you think in two circles. The first circle is what's core to the brand. So let's say I'm a community bank. As a community bank, my products have to do with savings accounts and checking accounts, mortgages, if I have business customers, things like lines of credit. Those are my, that's my core. That's the central circle. So I want to have topics that surround those products, right? So I want to talk to you about savings and saving for retirement. I want to talk to you about balancing your budget. I want to talk to you about maybe some financial planning. At the business side, maybe it's about working capital or you know when to talk to your banker about a line of credit. Those are all good topics that are very much around that, that central circle. If you drew a circle around the core, you'd have what we'd consider adjacent topics. And we usually recommend to pick a half a dozen adjacent topics, which are things like, for example, in the community banker example, for individuals, I might have things about the local community is an obvious one, because I'm a community bank, events that are happening. I might also have things that have to do with planning for a family or growing a family or education, because many families who have just purchased their first home are interested in those topics. So it's a layer of indirection, if you will, from the core topics. If you have you know, half a dozen of those buckets, to use your term, it tends to be a really good starting point. And then the key to it is to pay attention. Even though the AI does a lot of the heavy lifting for you, once a month or so, we recommend getting back into the platform and taking a look at what's performing well, what's not, adding content, removing content, uh, which is a pretty easy process. But you have to be looking at it. Just like if you looked at a garden, you, you have to go and do some work and do some weeding and Pruning and things like that.
0: Yeah. And I imagine some of those, some of those buckets might become bigger or smaller depending on how your customers are engaging with them.
1: Definitely. And, and the cool thing about the AI approach to it is when you have the ability to personalize, you don't have to make as difficult of choices. You still want to take the curator's lens, needs to be around what are the broader categories of content that we want to consider relevant to our brand. Which sources of content do we think are really obviously trustworthy, but also just really well-written and interesting? But then at the individual article level, I can, I can have a lot of content and let the AI pick which pieces go to which readers. You know, For example, I might have uh, a piece of content about special needs education. And some of my clients might have kids with ADHD or with other uh, learning requirements and are very interested in that topic. And other people might not. And so the articles that are perhaps a little bit more narrow in interest than the ones that are broader in interest won't appear over time in the emails going to customers who don't have those interests. So I think that's a a really good example where you can include a lot of different types of content. You just have to think about it from the categorical perspective rather than every single article. So you save a lot of time, but really you can also, the idea of like, well, why would the brand be with the customer every week? Well, it's this kind of diversity in content that makes it interesting.
0: And I'm sure it, it allows you to just know exactly what people want to be hearing and want to be and are experiencing in real time.
1: Definitely. You know, you can be very responsive uh, with what's been happening in the world the last few months with, you know, the, the, the COVID crisis and quarantine and working from home. Those types of topics have been extremely interesting to a lot of people and, you know, much more so than they would have been, let's say, four months ago. Mm-hmm. And and then you can also look ahead and say, okay, well, how do we tie that back to our brand? So if you're in a brand that, ha- you know, your, your category isn't necessarily about remote, w- remote work or stay-at-home or quarantine, do you talk about the generic things? Well, maybe mm-hmm. at the very front end of a, a shift in interests, you might. But there's also ways to look at it and say, well, these are the types of things people are reading about And then you can look at broader data about what's happening from an SEO perspective generally, and then think about topics that are at the intersection of your core, that central circle I referred to, and those trending topics. And then come up, that's an opportunity to come up with original content, because if you can intersect a broadly trending interest, like remote work, for example, with something specific to your brand category, that gets really powerful because that is an application people can really put their fingers around.
0: Yeah. And I'm sure even just, just the same, you can tell when people are like tired of, of hearing about it. Sure. Yeah. So I'd love to know if you have any tips for people who maybe have a newsletter, but people are really disengaged with it. Their customers are disengaged. What variables would you start tweaking first?
1: One of the things that I would look at is the frequency of the newsletter relative to the amount of content. So those are two key variables is how often do you send it and how how big is the newsletter? How much content is in it? You know, a lot of people think, hey, if I do a monthly newsletter, but it's substantial, it's got a lot of content, it's, it's 1,500 words or something like that, it's better because it's a more meaningful thing. The, the problem is, is it, you know, we're in a very much an ADD world. You know, people don't have time. Their attention is is seconds long. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, if an email gets opened up and it's a little bit overwhelming looking, we just move on. You know, mm-hmm. people, people don't spend a lot of time some, unless they're already committed to your brand. Um, if you get a newsletter from someone you, you, you really look forward to reading, you know, they have shared great insights with you before. Sure, maybe you, there's kind of that little bit of a hill to climb and it's worth doing. Yeah. Most brands don't benefit from that, uh, certainly initially. So I would look at it and say, hey, how can we make our newsletter easier to consume? Um, which is counterintuitive for a lot of people because a lot of people think, hey, I need to make my newsletter chock full of great stuff. And one of the simplest ways to do it is to actually increase the frequency and thin it out. So okay. if you have a newsletter once a month, that's 20 pieces of content or 15 pieces of content, try sending it every other week and with half as, half as much content. Try to change the format a little bit so it's a little more lively, uh, a little more entertaining, a little bit fresher. There's, there's some magic in that too. Do some A-B testing on subject lines as well. That can be in a subject line and the opens of the email are the gateway to whether or not your email performs. Really like if people actually read the email, if people click through, is the long-term test of whether it'll be successful, but they can't get there if they don't open. So those are a couple of quick tips that are, you know, platform agnostic essentially. You can do that whether you're using MailChimp or any other email provider or our own platform at Rossa.io. But really the key to it is to keep it fresh. If you're not with the consumer as a brand, at least every couple of weeks, you're you're out of sight and you're out of mind. And in fact, our recommended frequency is weekly, which sounds crazy to a lot of people, but Weekly newsletters across every industry that we're involved in, which is pretty much everything at this point, perform way better than anything else. And, and a week goes by so fast for most people in their experience these days that it's it's not overkill if you're not pitching them constantly. Your content has to be really good.
0: So on the topic of the whole pitching thing, I'm sure there's people listening who are wondering, how do you do it correctly? And how can you add in a CTA? to make a little extra cash if you do have all these engaged readers?
1: The way I think about it is, and I know um, Ryan and your team for a lot of years have been talking about the three types of emails being relational, promotional, and transactional. And, and we, we ascribe to the same classification model here. And you know, emails are squarely in the relational email category. That doesn't mean a relational email can't also have promotional elements to it. It just has to be overwhelmingly relational. So the, you, you aim first to inform, first to give value, but that does not mean by any stretch that you don't also promote. I think the first rule is to make sure that it's an 80-20 type of mix. You want to be 80% informative and 20% promotional or less. And actually, we found that people who are a little bit less than that sometimes, and what I mean by that is as a percentage of the real estate. If you were to take a picture of your email and say what percentage of that screen was relational content versus promotional content. If 20% or less is promotional, you're in good shape. If it's 50-50, it'll feel like you're you're really getting pitched a lot. Uh, and a lot of newsletters, frankly, are like 80% promotional. So, yeah. so that's, that's the first thing. The second thing is make it clear to people when they're consuming something that's promotional in nature, they're fine. They know you're a business. They're fine with you promoting your business. Just make it clear to them. So what we do at Rasta.io is our newsletter is all content And then we have a couple of blocks of images that are very clearly ads. We say, hey, you know, you're reading a smart newsletter. Now start one of your own, right? So it's like our own product. We're pitching it. But we make it clear through a call-out box or some kind of visual treatment. So that way the reader feels like, hey, yeah, I know I'm getting a pitch here, but I, I know that it's a pitch versus when I'm reading this content piece, I know that it's informative and objective
0: yeah it's it's almost like if you think of a newspaper when you have like you know what's the content and you know what the ads are and you don't feel turned off by either
1: exactly yeah because you know they both are in, they both have their natural place and Frankly, a good ad is very well worth reading if it's interesting to you. And I think promotions can be done in an awesome way in a newsletter, especially since you know more about the customer um, than ever before. So there's a lot of really cool promotional stuff you can do in a newsletter. Uh, You just have to be, you know, just be thoughtful, be respectful. You know, it's kind of put yourself in the shoes of the reader and say, hey, if I spent five minutes reading a so called article and then I realized at the very end that actually I was reading a promotional piece. That doesn't feel so good, right? Because you're like, at the very end, you're like, oh, wait a second. I just thought I was reading something that was informative. Now I kind of question whether or not I invested my time well. That doesn't feel good to the reader. So, But at the front end of it, if it said, hey, sponsored content or, hey, uh, a message from our sponsor or in the case of a first-party brand like us, we'll make it very clear. It says, hey, check out why our product will help you send a great newsletter but they know that they're going to do like a, a one-minute video that's a pitch or whatever, right? They know what it is, even if it's informative and promotional. So I think that's the key to it, is just making sure you're upfront about what's promotional and what's what's not.
0: That makes sense. Well, I'd love to dig into the actual features of Raza.io and just get just get an idea of what it's all about and what you can do with it.
1: Sure. I'd be happy to share that. So the main thing to share on the front end of a conversation about our platform is that the the basic approach to newsletters is it's a subtle shift but it's different than what you'd experience with a mainstream email provider. So if you use Campaign Monitor or Mailchimp or Constant Contact or any other email provider, while you'll have beautiful templates available to you and so on that'll help you create your email It's your job to construct the email, to write the content, to craft the weekly newsletter. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of work involved. The average newsletter takes about four hours of labor. That's what we find, you know, typical newsletters that are manually produced. And of course, the newsletter is send that one newsletter and everybody gets the same thing. So, and sometimes it takes many more hours than that, depending on the nature of it. That's just the generic average that we have. So, what we do is we automate that. And so the the subtle shift is with Rasa.io, you Uh, Essentially, tell the system the sources of content that you think are interesting. So for digital marketer, you might have, of course, your own source. You, You guys have tons of content, but you might also pull in content sources from other trusted providers that are in the digital marketing realm or the broader marketing and branding world. And perhaps in adjacent markets, you might have content about starting a business. Lots of of your audience are folks who are starting businesses for the first time and other adjacent markets. So you'll pull in content from Inc. Magazine or Entrepreneur.com or Forbes and and sources you consider trustworthy. So that's the first thing is is that with Rasa.o, you're curating at the source level, not really at the individual article level. So that's the first step is you set up your sources and you can filter them down. So you can say, hey, I don't want everything in ink.com I want ink.com, but I want to filter it down on digital marketing keywords. Now, that's step one. Step two is on every time you're about to send a newsletter out, you as the editor, you have the ability to review every single article that has come into the system. So Mm -hmm. if you imagine, let's say I went out and I, I selected 10 different sources that are related to digital marketing and adjacent topics. And those are essentially pipes that are coming into the system now. Before, the issue, before each issue of the newsletter goes out, I can go into Rasa.io and I can say, hey, which articles have flowed in to the system from those pipes, essentially, from those sources? And I might see 20 or 30 or 50 articles that have come in, and I can turn them on or off. So I might say, oh, well, that article from Inc.com, I like it. Give it a thumbs up. Or I can say that article, I didn't like it. Like, give it a thumbs down so it won't be included in what we call the content pool. And then from there, really what the AI does is it does the rest of the work for you. It takes only those articles that are approved, and then it personalizes every issue for every reader and sends it out. Where people get hung up is they don't really understand that you're not actually manually crafting the newsletter itself. You're essentially teaching the system how to craft the newsletter for you. So that's the main thing people have to understand. We have some videos on our website under how it works that explains that but that's the basic concept. And the result of it is instead of taking four hours to create a newsletter, our average customer spends between zero and 10 minutes a week.
0: Oh my God.
1: (laughs) Dramatically cuts it down. So, and and that's actually what makes it possible for almost any brand on the planet to set out a great newsletter on a regular basis is that automation.
0: Hmm, That's amazing. Well, I know we're getting to kind of the end of the hour and I have one more question for you, but before I ask that question, I'd love to tell everyone where they can find out more about Rasa.io, where they can find out more about you and how they can contact you.
1: So Rasa.io is where on the web is the easiest place to get to us. It's just r-a-s-a.io, And you can find me if you just Google my name, you'll find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, everywhere else. And I'm very happy to connect with people through any of those platforms.
0: Awesome. Cool. And my final question, we ask this of every guest who comes onto the podcast. Amit, if you could go back in time and tell yourself, I'll say the person who you were when you were starting Rasa.io, if you could tell yourself anything at all, what would you tell him and why?
1: I would probably tell myself as of a few years ago to focus on the simple part of the message Rather than the cool part of the message, so why that <laughs> is? What I just told you of you know saving four hours a week that seems to resonate with most folks, and it's 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 the the concept is hey we automate the newsletter we make it possible to to do this. When we first started out, our emphasis was primarily on we personalize the newsletter, and people didn't quite get that as immediately because while they understand the idea, they're struggling just to get a newsletter out if at all. So. That's what I would shift is the market hasn't been quite ready for the personalization message. As much as there is conversation about personalization, almost none of the mainstream businesses out there, even in even larger companies, but certainly small to medium sized businesses are doing personalization. So because we started there, we had a steeper wall to climb. Once we shifted our primary message to automation and simplicity, it's been much easier to explain our our core value proposition, which is to save the small to medium-sized business a ton of time and make it possible for them to connect with brands uh, or their brand with their consumers on a a regular basis.
0: Beautiful. Well, I think you've successfully done it. This sounds like just such an amazing software. And I know that we have a lot more conversations to be had.
1: (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you for having me
0: of course have an awesome awesome day and to everyone listening thank you so much for giving me a little bit of your day each week it means the world to us and we'll see you same time same place next week bye